Okay, I hope you can all see that, and good morning, church. Um, so, today we're looking at, uh, continuing Mark, uh, looking at um, the uh, final route into his crucifixion, um, the, the final day, um, after the, the Last Supper. Uh, we looked at that uh, last week. Um, but before I, I do that, uh, I want to ask a question. Um, I wonder whether you remember the first time you realised that your parents were human. Um, it's not a, an easy thing to think of. We, as, as children, we often idolise our parents. Um, I'm not sure that I do, but I, I think it was fairly early on. My, my father has a, a bit of a, a temper, and while he doesn't see red, he certainly... Uh, does get quite angry and, and shouts at people, where, especially when he's on the, on the road, when he's driving. And, um, and I try really, really hard not to emulate that. Um, but uh, and especially with some of the, the terrible drivers around. Um, but uh, that is something that I've been very aware that, you know, that's something my father does and, and that's what, something that I, I try very hard not to do. Um, but, as I said, children often idolise their parents and then at some point the scales drop from their eyes and I've seen this often as a, in the role, my role as a teacher. You see this is where they get the, start to get the teenage rebellion and you see some uh, resentment and rebellion kind of boiling up because they suddenly realise you know, they disagree with their parents about various things um, and they think they know better. Um, whether they do or not, you know, it's, you know, it depends. Well, what happens when we face the very humanity of Jesus? In today's passage, we are presented with his humanity very, very clearly. And I hope that, uh, that as, we, uh, as we are Christians, we see the greater glory and love of God rather than something that we want to rebel against. So let's uh, have a look at the passage. So we're looking at Mark chapter 14, starting from verse 26, and I'm going to read all the way to, uh, through to 52. So it's a long passage, um, and uh, it's on the screen. Jesus foretells Peter's denial. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though, I fall away, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this, uh, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster, cock, uh, rooster crows, Twice you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die uh, with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, uh, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be, uh, be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. 
remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Can you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know uh, what to answer him. And he came a third time, the third time, and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of, of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, uh, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize, seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one who, was, uh, who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against, uh, against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the te temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him, but no, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let me pray as we go on. Father, we pray that you are with us as you have promised, your spirit uh, guiding us to all truth. Lord, we thank you that your message is clear and has been preserved and is faithful. Lord, we thank you that we believe in uh, such a God who uh, makes his message very clear to us. Um, and Lord we, but we, Lord, we pray that we learn more and more each day how that impacts us and how uh, we should live our lives according to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... Um, well, today's passage is a long one, and actually I could uh, give several sermons on this passage. Um, but I'm going to concentrate on Jesus, and then Peter, and then back to Jesus. Uh, but it's worth, actually, it's worth noting a little side, amusing note, uh, that this little boy at the end who runs away, this is an entry that's found in Mark's Gospel and not in any of the other Gospels. And because of this, uh, and we, because of the timeline... Uh, we believe that, uh, that this little boy who runs away naked all the way through Jerusalem uh, back to his home 
is uh, Mark himself, the author of the Gospel. Um, and some scholars, uh, because of this and other things, believe that uh, the Last Supper was held at Mark's house. Um, yeah, uh, so yeah, that's uh, just a little side interesting note. Um, I, I find that quite amusing um, that he would introduce this little personal touch. Anyway, um, that aside, uh, we are used to images and descriptions of Jesus as the picture of ultimate peace and calm and serenity. We ascribe this calmness, this serenity to them, to him that is literally divine. And we seek to emulate that uh, in times of trouble. Uh, we have this picture of Jesus and we, uh, hopefully, it, for, you, for me, it, it calms me. Um, and I, I hope that I can be as Jesus was. I mean, after all, we see uh, Jesus sleeping through a storm, uh, such a great storm that it frightened uh, experienced fishermen. We see him unfazed by thousands of people who want to, to touch him, to want to brush up against him, who are pleading for help, and uh, thousands who are potentially starving uh, and they're probably wrestler, getting restless. We see him facing down angry and accusatory yeah, experts in the scripture day after day uh, who are questioning him and looking for him to trip up and eventually uh, they put him on trial for the highest of sins, blasphemy. And throughout all of this we see Jesus being very calm, being very measured in what, how he answers um, and completely unfazed. So what's unusual about this situation as he enters the Garden of Gethsemane? Let's have a look at verse 33. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And this is what I want to, to look at today. Jesus in distress. Now, I... I don't find, uh, you might find this uh, you know, surprising coming from an elder, but I don't find daily Bible reading easy. I don't find the daily devotional easy. I think it's a, it's a very important thing to do. Um, and, you know, great joy and peace can be found through it. Um, but I've never found it easy to sit down uh, in, a, in a busy daily life or just, just kind of trying to set out the time. Um, to do a daily Bible reading. Um, what helps me is sometimes having audio. So um, I used to, when I was in London, before I, yeah, as soon as I got up, I would have the Bible uh, chapter playing through on audio while then I read, um, um, uh, yeah, I, I would read uh, the, the daily devotional to go with it. And then I would have the audio play again just so that I get it. Just recently, I've discovered um, that I'm very good at listening to podcasts and sermons. Um, and so when I go for my daily walk uh, or when I'm cooking, I'm listening to podcasts and ser sermons. So I've just started listening to a daily short devotional podcast, which is uh, less than five minutes uh, by John Piper. And uh, I'll put the link in, in WhatsApp, the WhatsApp chat and in, on the Facebook group if anyone's interested. Uh, but I try and listen to two days worth 
uh, so maybe uh, less than 10 minutes but usually about three minutes each um, more than once a day so I get I get it overlapping from one day to the next and I re-listen to it more than once a day so I get to listen to it at least two or three times and maybe even four or five times um, for each de uh, devotional and so I can properly meditate it on it and, and think it through. Um, but a, a bit over a week ago, one of the devotions was entitled Six Ways That Jesus Fought Depression. And these were the points. Six ways that Jesus fought depression. Now, I don't think that Jesus was in danger of depression. Um, but we know that extended periods of stress can lead to depression. And um, extended periods of stress... Uh, dealing with those is the same as dealing with uh, ideas of depression. So I thought I'd take those points and repeat them here because I thought that they were very worth looking at. So the first point here is that he took his close friends with him. In verse 33 we see uh, him taking Peter and James and John with him to pray. The second point is he opened up to them, his friends, and shared his distress. In verse 34, he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. In times of deep distress, I, uh, I think it's incredibly useful to call on friends and share troubles. And, and discussing uh, your problems with them is uh, really important. Uh, the third point, uh, he asked them for partnership in his struggle. So in verse 34, he says, remain here and watch. And he repeats that, remain and watch and pray. Point four, always as Christians, we know we should be pouring out our heart to God. We have a God who answers prayer. Verse 36 Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Point five. He put his faith and fate in God's hands. He says, Jesus says, not what I will, but what you will. We're so confident to deal with things ourselves. We are so, if we find it so hard to ask for help, we find it so hard to give up. Uh, that and put it into somebody's own, uh, somebody else's hands. And we forget that God is there to help us. We forget that the Spirit is in us to help us. That He's given us the Spirit as a counsellor, as a helper. And finally, uh, six, he looked forward to what was beyond. Now, we don't really see that in this passage so much. We see that elsewhere in the Gospel. But in Hebrews 12, 2, so it says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, so the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he looked forward to the joy that was set before him and he saw that he would be seated at the right hand of God. So we see that in, uh, see that in Jesus we see a model of how we should be de dealing with stress and 
distress. His not his perfection is not that he did not feel distress. As I said before, yes, we have this picture of him being perfectly at peace and perfectly calm in all situations, and that is a false image. He is perfect not because he's like that, because he wasn't always like that. We see here that he is sorrowful and in distress. It's that he knew that it was a sacrifice for God's greater glory and that he knew how to handle that stress and sorrow. Those of you who follow me on Facebook know that I recently did a 25-day uh, press-ups a day every day for, for 25 days a uh, day uh, challenge where I was raising awareness for mental health and depression that can often lead to suicide, and that's something very dear to me. I think men especially, uh, but not exclusively, are very bad at sharing our feelings and our problems. We need to cry out to God, sharing our problems with our friends, and we really need to understand that that is not wrong. In fact, it's not sinful in its modeling what Jesus did here. We need to be aware that that is not sinful. To be in distress, to be struggling, to finding things hard. Right, I want to, to move on to talk about Peter. Jesus, sorry, Peter was appointed by Jesus to be his rock and the church, uh, the, the rock that the church would build, be built on. He was in many ways the leader of the disciples and later became the leader of the church. He was the first to jump in with two feet, um, which is good and bad in many ways. And in many ways we see that here. Uh, when he was told that he would run away and uh, fail Jesus, we see Peter's typical response. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Now, can you imagine Peter's hurt at hearing Jesus' words telling him that he would fail and that he would deny him three times? For Peter, this probably resolved him all the more that he would stay with Jesus. But when the time came, he was the same as others and he ran away. The question is, if Peter, with all his brashness and bravery, having lived alongside uh, and worked with Jesus for three years, having loved him as a brother, as a friend, having seen the miracles and even performed some miracles, if he runs away, where does that leave us? What hope do we have if the greatest of the disciples, the closest of the disciples, the most, uh, among the most loved of the disciples, runs away from Jesus. But this is the point. We see in John's Gospel, and yeah, we see obviously in Acts, Jesus restoring Peter. And if Jesus can restore Peter for his failure, for his denial... For his falling down, he will do the same for us. As humans, we will fail and we will fail again. The Bible is clear that we are fallible and we will continue to fall. 
And it's by God's love, patience and grace that he restores us. Just like a parent with their child. The child will go wrong. The child will fall over. The child will do selfish things, do their own things. But a good and loving parent will continue to correct and lift them up and restore them to encourage. And as we continue to go do God's work, uh, he will continue to encourage us. God's work, which is the spreading of his word and his glory. Finally, I want to return to Jesus and re-examine his distress once again. What's the cause of this distress? Jesus, who slept through the most dangerous of storms. Jesus, who faced jeering crowds with calmness. Jesus, who stood silent while others accused him. What could have caused him this much distress? Could it be that knowing his innocence and knowing that he would be uh, uh, wrongly accused, did he feel this injustice in him as is built in all of us, this idea of the wrongly accused, the innocent, that the greatest injustice in history was about to occur? Surely that would stress any of us. Was it that he would soon be betrayed by one of his own, one of the twelve, one of his close friends, who had lived and laughed and loved alongside him and he would soon betray him? That betrayal of a close friend, that would be stressful. That is stressful. And the sign of a, the betrayal, ironically, is also the sign of love. A kiss. Judas comes to him and kisses him to show his sign of betrayal. Surely that stresses out Jesus. Could it be that it was that he was about to go to the most brutal, torturous execution ever designed in history? Historians agree that this is probably the most brutal execution known in history. I won't go into the gory details, but he was beaten and then made to carry a heavy burden in place, uh, to the place of his crucifixion for a couple of miles outside Jerusalem. And whilst the crowds would have lined the streets jeering and probably throwing at him, uh, he walked. The same people who not so long ago had cheered him and claimed him to be their king. And then he would have nails driven through his hands and his feet. And bleeding he would be lifted up onto the cross and he would be hanging by those nails. And the choice would then be to be lifting him up, himself up on those nails or suffocating to death. Let's look at the passage again. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. 
you see, it's not the injustice that, uh, well, it's partly the injustice, but it's this cup. It's not the torturous death, it's this cup. In the Old Testament, the repeated references to this cup are about God's wrath. This is the cup of God's wrath. And what does that mean? That means God's judgment of sin. That Christians throughout all eternity, each one of those sins is enough to separate us from the love and perfection of God. And each one of those sins is worthy of death because that separates us from the love and perfection of God. Each lie and selfish thought of us as a Christian came on Jesus as he died. Each lie and every selfish thought, every bit of maliciousness or lust, every bit of unkindness or carelessness, Jesus took that punishment for each and every one of us. It's no wonder that the sky turned black for three hours because the sin of the world through all time came on him at that moment. This is what Jesus is stressed about because he knows he is going to face that punishment. And he is going to be separated from his father for the first time in eternity. The father turns his face away. And why? For us. So this leads us to the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's why it's the most famous verse in the Bible. It encapsulates everything of the Bible. The message of Christianity is so simple. Jesus dies for us. To take our place, to take our punishment, the punishment that we deserve. And all we have to do is believe in him. And so for those of us who do believe, we, are, we should be driven to our knees in humility. Knowing that he took our punishment and there is nothing that we can do. And nothing that deserves us. what Jesus has done and God has not only accepted us into heaven and promised us eternity he's also accepted us into his family so God asks God asks that we may live lives in response to this and in the light of that, how can we do anything but share his love, this love, and good news? 
And as always, I'm challenged by this because I know that I don't talk to my friends, my non-Christian friends enough about this great love and salvation I have and that I realize is incredibly selfish. And how can we have any pride because we have done nothing? How can we look down on others? How can we think that we are better than others? Because nothing gains us that place in heaven. Nothing gains us eternity. Nothing gains us forgiveness. And how can we do anything less than love one another? Because God loved us even when we were still sinners. And he has a heart for the lost. We've been studying, in the men's Bible study, we've been studying Jonah. And Jonah gets so angry because God saves Nineveh and 120,000 people. It seems ridiculous to us that Jonah could be angry at this. God shows his love for his people. Not Israel, but the people he created. All people. The roughest, the rudest the most hedonistic, he wants to reach out and save them. This is why Jesus died. And if we are being selfish in holding that to ourselves, then we're not understanding why Jesus died. Let me pray. Father, we pray that day by day we realise more and more what you have done for us. The magnitude of our sin and our fallen, fallenness, of our selfishness, of our carelessness. Lord, help us to love. Show us how to love. Lord, we know that we only know how to love because we know your love. And so, Lord, help us to to long to look into your scriptures to learn more about what your love is and to love one another and so spread that love among the church, among our fellow brothers and sisters and then to the world, to the lost, to our non-Christian friends. Lord, pray, we pray that you give us opportunities. You pray that you give us boldness. You pray that you give us uh, a chance and you pray, uh, pray, uh, pray that you give us the right words to speak to them because, Lord, we, we are weak and we're afraid and, Lord, we, we long for them to be with us in eternity. So, Lord, we pray that you send us out into the world to be witnesses for you, that we can share this great love. Lord, we pray that you destroy our pride as painful as that is, and you teach us to love. In Jesus' name, amen.